Across the nation, we're watching as protesters are met with an unnecessary force of tear gas and rubber bullets. We need funds and resources moved away from equipping our law enforcement with weapons of war and towards rebuilding the decimated social safety net in this country. As residents in Massachusetts take a closer look at the public safety measures after the murder of George Floyd, it's clear that the police reform bills in the state legislature do not address systemic injustices. Police abuse has been happening in our state for a long time. The need for systemic reform is urgent. In my hometown of Methuen, a city about 50,000 and facing budgeting challenges, has a police chief with a base salary of nearly 300,000. That's more than chiefs in Houston, Chicago, Philadelphia, and New York City. And he refuses to furlough any days to help fund the city's budget shortfall. That's wrong. Even the Federal Justice Department had to investigate the Springfield Police and found that they engage in an excessive abuse of force regularly, even repeatedly punching individuals in the face unnecessarily. That's wrong. A man battling mental illness, wounded and on the ground, was riddled with 50 gunshots and killed by Boston PD, each with her own body cameras, but none of them recording. That's wrong. We need a complete rethinking of what community safety looks like in this state. So what are in the police reform bills, and why don't they do it? That's what we'll be discussing on this episode. I'm Glenn Cody. And I'm Alex Wedge, and this is episode two of Roses in the Valley. There are two versions of the policing bill, one in the State House, the other in the Senate. Proponents of both bills say that they ban the use of chokeholds, require intervention and reporting when other officers use excessive force, and restart a police certification board. Our state is one of the only states without one. At a glance, the bill seems to bring limitations to police violence. But with a closer look, the bill leaves too much of a gray area for officers' benefit. The chokehold ban in both versions of the bill, for example, defines chokeholds by the intent or result of causing unconsciousness or death, and that means the chokehold that caused George Floyd's death would have been legal until the moment he lost consciousness. Amendments that would have created an absolute ban of chokeholds failed in both the State House and State Senate. Other amendments to truly ban tear gas, attack dogs, and rubber bullets failed as well. But an amendment that did pass allows cops to pause their own decertification for up to a year. There's also a lack of consequences. When a police officer used a chokehold on Eric Garner that killed him in 2014, Chokeholds had already been banned by the NYPD for years. That officer is still a free man. To many, the biggest issue at hand regards qualified immunity, or QI. That's the judicial doctrine protecting public employees who violate a person's rights from getting sued. In practice, this results in a near-impossible threshold to pass for a police officer to be held accountable in the criminal justice system. The bills tinker with QI, but don't eliminate it. Nonetheless, police around the state are working their influence. The Senate bill would allow for lawsuits against police officers only if the officer should have reasonably known their behavior violated someone's civil rights. Of course, that reasonability is defined by the police officers themselves. However, the even more conservative House bill says QI will only be lifted if the police officer is decertified under the new system while also filling the certification board with cops. Police unions claim that the threat of a lawsuit would cause them to hesitate when making split-second life-or-death decisions. 
If the first thing on a police officer's mind during a split-second life-or-death decision is the threat of paperwork or a court date, they should be reevaluating the direction of their career. Qualified immunity should not exist. If a public official violates a person's rights, they should be held accountable. We are experiencing an unprecedented reckoning across the country on the long-time abuses of policing. These bills are built more for a moment rather than a movement. It is more about saying that the state is doing something about Black Lives Matter, rather than reorganizing the state's priorities to break down systems of oppression. That's why abolition and civil rights groups across the state, like Black and Pink Boston, Families for Justice as Healing, Court Watch, and the Charles Hamilton Houston Institute for Race and Justice at Harvard, have all denounced the bills introduced. We agree with them. As always, you can find us at dsamv.org as well as on our socials at MerrimackDSA. I've been Glenn Cody. And I've been Alex Wedge. And this has been Roses in the Valley. Thank you for listening to Roses in the Valley. To close us off, we have a voicemail from a DSA member. This is Connor with DSA Merrimack Valley. Police reform bill does not do enough to remedy the problems inherent to law enforcement. People won't be able to trust that their rights to safety are protected until more is done to hold police accountable for their actions.